2: put the spring back into your step and into your home, too. Shop Blinds.com right now and save up to 45%. Up to 45% off for a limited time at Blinds.com. Blinds.com. Rules and restrictions may apply.
1: Well, you're going to get Memphis. One out of two with the free throw line and keeps the rebound
3: alive. Beverly's got it. He'll dribble it out in the corner. The horn will sound. And for just the second time in the last 18 years, the Timberwolves are headed to the
1: postseason. They clinched the seventh seed, and they're headed to Memphis. I got a friend in Memphis. Welcome back. I, I chuckled just a little there because the second time in 18 years is not overwhelming. It's an overwhelming statistic from the wrong angle. Joining us now, the John Schuster Caldwell Banker Hotline. He's played in the NBA playoffs, he's played in the Final Four. He's been a first round draft pick. He works for the Timberwolves now, former Gopher, former Timberwolf. Former Boston Celtic, former Toronto Raptors, former New New Jersey Nets. Who else do I got out there, John Thomas?
4: (laughs) There's a lot of (laughs) former. That's okay. That means you played for a while. (laughs) Indeed, indeed. No, uh, pleasure be on as always, Mike.
1: I remember one year, though, I turned on the TV, and I think it was you You were either playing for Toronto or New Jersey, and they would picked you up late in the year in, in, in the playoffs, and they had inserted you in. You were part of the rotation. It's like I didn't even realize John was playing for them. Do you remember what I'm talking about?
4: Indeed, I do. That was uh, when New Jersey had to pick me up uh, the last uh, few regular season games, and then yep. uh, I had the un, unseasoned task of being able to guard Shaq uh, through the playoffs.
1: <laughs> Is that what, that's all they wanted you to do, huh?
4: <laughs> well, we ended up having to play uh, the Indiana Pacers in the first round, so okay. it was Jermaine, o, Jermaine O'Neal, yeah. which obviously was was no small task either. Yeah. Uh, but it, with the potential hopes of getting past the first round, which we thought we, we were a better team, uh, we indeed did face that eventual Miami Heat championship team with, with uh, Shaq and Alonzo Mourning. That was it. Oh, it was a tall time.
1: John, I got some good fans. news for you, and I got some bad news for you. <laughs> you're you're going to get <laughs> to play tonight, and your job is to stop Shaq.
4: <laughs> yeah, for sure. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it was a heavy task to, to start with, for sure.
1: What does it do for an organization like the Timberwolves, where you now work on the corporate side, to have a win like last night? Because when you walked into the office today, you felt what?
4: Uh, I think, collectively, just a, a sense of, of pride, because I think that what a lot of people don't understand is how much actually goes into it. And you never, as a, as a former player, you never understand what actually has to go into making that all come to fruition. Obviously kind of a perfect combination of having the right mix of players, uh, a coaching staff that ultimately prepares them, the front office that puts the right pieces in place, uh, everything from the, from the business side in terms of leadership and how uh, they're positioning the right type of messaging into the market, and then ultimately a fan base that doesn't give up. And so it, I think it's been fun to watch the, the, the turnaround of the team and the, the, the maturation of guys like Cad and the resurgence of, um, you know, you look at Anthony Edwards and what's happening with uh, Patrick Beverly and the energy that he's injected. And, and you can call out individuals, man, but at the end of the day, the same individuals you can call out are, are the people that clicking cooking the meals and stretching the guys and, and making sure the right marketing materials are in place or capturing the data and making sure that we're all aligned collectively. I and mean, there's a lot that goes into this entire business. So I think just a sense of collective pride.
1: Patrick Beverly was emotional last day. I mentioned it in the first segment that I love to see him get his revenge on the Clippers. And I know some of that is calculated and cerebral on his part. Uh, but do you, do, when you see him, you see what? What does he mean to this team?
4: I absolutely love what he brings to the team. You know, I think there's often – there's not enough emotion that, that is displayed. And, and, again, I mean, I think sometimes there's there's the hero, there's the villain, there's the – you know, there's there's a storyline. And the thing which you receive with Pat is just authentic Pat Beverly. You love him, you hate him. Whatever your feelings on it, you have strong feelings. And I, and I just love to see that when guys pour out themselves into into a team, into – into the city and, you know, the result of trying to prove people wrong, trying to prove yourself right. Uh, you know, again, you hear him say they, they thought he was old, they passed up on him. And so there's this, there's this real chip. And and I just appreciate what he brings to the game. And so to see that come out in emotion, uh, I was also an emotional player. Uh, so from my perspective, uh, you lay it on the line, you go out there and you fight for your team and, you want to embrace your community and, and for that I was it was great to see
1: and is that the kind of guy that you love as a teammate because you know he's always on your side or do you worry about him ever turning on you
4: you know I'd I, I never worry about guys that turn on because there's nobody that knows Pat better than those guys that are in the locker room and he's been able to develop a rapport uh, it's visibly seen with the guys and, and how he leads them. I also think that, and obviously, I'm biased to, the, to to being a big man, but I can honestly say that the point guard position is the most important position on the floor because uh, they are the the head chef, and if the head chef doesn't set the the table, nobody eats. And so he's done a really good job, I think, of that. But as a um, you know, when you think about what he brings to the table, uh, he's, he's constantly that defensive presence. Uh, he's a nagging. Uh, I guess thorn in people's side all the time and you know uh, pumping up the crowd and getting them involved I think we all like to see what he brings to the table I certainly wouldn't like to play against him
1: Hang on one second the head, If the head chef doesn't set the table, nobody eats. I just want to make sure I got this down right because I could use that in a speech somewhere. You know what I'm saying? When I'm out there on the circuit, you know what I'm saying, John?
4: That's
1: for sure. Now, 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 a guy like Carl Anthony Towns, he goes into a game last night, probably learned more in that one game than than he has in, you know, a lot of playoff experience. He hasn't had a lot of playoff experience, but, I mean, he probably learned as much in in that game as any game in his career because, he, you know, he probably was a little bit overzealous, etc. cetera, and, he, and he's so talented. um You've seen guys like that where they they just have an off night, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, how do you grade a guy? Is it how he responds to that? Is it what when, when when you know that he's disappointed in himself?
4: You know, it's it's easy to do that when the microscope is magnified the most where the, the spotlight is the, is, is the brightest. But at the end of the day, I mean, Kat's work has consistently proven, uh, you know, to, to be something that's gotten us to this point. Now, if I'm him, uh, I guess the, the, the lens that I look through is that, first of all, you've earned the respect to be double-teamed. So mm-hmm. how, do you now, how do you now adjust and welcome the double-team? Because if you don't think that Memphis is paying attention to that, um, they, they will also likely double-team and be aggressive with him. So welcome it. Now you then become almost a distributor. You become the, the sort of the second chef, if you will, or the, the sous chef. Hmm. Uh, to, to stick to that <laughs> with our with our theme of of, of eating,
1: <laughs> it's <his> dinner <laughs> hour, so
4: we can do this. Yes, <laughs> indeed. Uh, but no, I, I, that's you. You kind of have to think about and take the emotion away from it. And I, and I know that he probably wanted it probably more badly than anyone else. And, and fouling, getting into foul trouble, and then ultimately fouling out. If you've got to turn off the emotional and, and turn on the cerebral, and ask yourself, what do I need to do to to improve and just to get better? So um and again like let's let's be realistic you know all the things that are happening in the world this is sports and we're we're talking on a sports show and we have the ability to do so and it's a fun thing to do man but he's a human being i certainly think that he didn't he didn't lace him up and say i can't wait to mess up and file out that's right hey man put it behind you the city is embracing you you know let's you're you're fortunate that's the thing about sports is you got another crack at it and so you can't so uh let's see what happens in memphis
1: I always think with great players too that that it's really advantageous to have a game like last night where you you don't play well and your team wins because you're you're now uh, you you still accomplish the goal but but great players often go okay that will never ever ever happen again on my watch you know what I'm saying
4: yeah and and there, there's a lot to be learned from it and and that's the part that I think again that with with him it's you you've done what you needed to do throughout the course of the entire regular season where people are taking notice and you hit the national stage. And in a lot of ways you probably, you know, and, and again, I'm, I'm speaking for him. So I certainly don't understand where his head is at, but you know, there's a national stage. There's, there's pressures probably that you don't understand exists. And then the crowd comes out the way they did, which was a, a complete home court advantage with nonstop energy all the way through. Um, you know, you never know when those kinds of things happen. So, no, hopefully, you know, we, we need the big fella to show up and do what he, he does best. Um, you know, now that they're in the mix and actually in the, in the real uh, playoff series, uh, the, this this whole thing is about adjustments now and and whoever the best team is can stay healthy and, and and comes up with the best schemes and uh, and just has that full out dogged effort uh, usually is the victor.
1: John Thomas, our guest, former first round pick, played in the NBA for years and abroad as well. Um, Anthony Edwards, we use the term fearless when we watch him, not afraid of the moment. Those are the kind of phrases that we use. Uh, I don't know that anybody's fearless because nobody wants to be humiliated and we all get anxiety, you know, the thought of embarrassing ourselves or not playing well. But how do you, when I describe, how would you describe him? And is there anybody that you played with that reminds you of him?
4: Um, not that I, nobody that I played with, cause he's got this, you know, to your point, this almost like, Hey man, nobody told you that you're 20. Yeah. You know, and, and, and to be able to take the, yeah. and
1: don't tell him by the way, right.
4: <laughs> <laughs> right. Right. I mean, and it's, it, it's something that's been fun to watch just because of, you know, certainly the the way in which he attacks the basket with reckless abandon, uh, you know, his, his step back three is obviously continuing to, to improve, you know, watching, nuances around what he did prior to the game you see how focused he was uh he's a a jovial person man that that really i think enjoys life and then will let you know about it so i haven't really played with anyone certainly with in terms of i mean the closest personality i think i would would be to to kg but kg had a different style Mm -hmm. Uh, but in in similar ways I, i think just had this this confidence about him and part of it is just willing yourself to to be the best that you can. So he's, you know, he's told you about it. You know, he's told us all about it. Yep. And it's fun to it's fun to see it show up in the way in which it did uh, last night.
1: I, I they read they said something. I don't know if it was on broadcast last night that he was the number four player ranked coming out of high school in the country, and I thought who in the hell was number one, two, and three? Because, <laughs> you know, Cause, cause, you know you, you've been to a lot of these AAU games, John, that, that you watch in the summertime where athleticism really shows through and great players that have freedom really show through. And every time I watch Edwards, I thought, I would have loved to have seen him play when he was 16 or 17, when they get up and down at that, you know, tournament in Ames, Iowa, and all that stuff, because he must have just been unbelievable.
4: Yeah, you know, the, the athleticism the, uh, certainly speaks for itself. And, and when you're younger, uh, a lot of that can carry you. And as far as like the rankings, I mean, you, we know how many players were quote unquote ranked.
1: Yeah, it means and, nothing. Yeah,
4: right. Yeah, it means absolutely nothing. So, uh, but no, he, he's he's uh, he's obviously a tremendous athlete. You know, all you can do is you know continue to hope that he takes care of his body and 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 father time continues to be good for for him. But then you start to see the way in which Michael Jordan transformed his game. Um, you know, from being a very athletic player to someone who became more cerebral and used his body and was was less of the air Jordan, if you will. So, um, you know, watching that and seeing how he came in his first year um, and then, you know, into his second year and sort of the ups and downs that have come along with it. Um, it's, been a, it's been a fun story to watch, for, you know, from, from my perspective, not only for him, but for the rest of the team, and the way they've gelled and created continuity. And that's what makes good teams click right I mean that's that's what's been fun I think about about this team is they've had some stability and the certain players are, are getting used to each other And not only that but they're getting used to the city the fan base the fan base is getting used to them and identifying with them and all of that you know breeds I think a, a really good story for, for what we're seeing unfolding in front of us.
1: John Thomas always appreciate it good to see you last night look forward to seeing you at the arena next week and it's nice to say that.
4: Absolutely, Mike. Looking forward to it. Go Wolves.
1: Go Wolves. Howl, howl. We got a scowl again. John Thomas, nice enough to join us on News Talk 830 WCCO. When we come back, I'm going to tell you why the NBA works at a high, high level, a higher level. And this was misguided. This was a miscalculation. This is not what they had intended with the labor agreement. But the ramifications ended up being better for the audience because of a mistake that they made when they negotiated with the players and the players didn't even know it. Some of them still don't know it. I know that sounds a little complicated, but I promise you, I'm going to straighten it out and it will all make sense when we come back. Okay, this is why the, the NBA had some problems. Okay. They played in the bubble and then the ratings went down and, and there were a lot of things involved in it. Um, I get that, but here's why it's been successful. They came up with the salary cap, Right. And, and, and so it's basically written in stone how much money you're going to have to spend on players. And the, and the money is beyond everybody's wildest dreams, especially with a 15-man roster. Okay, so, so they created this in the collective bargaining agreement where it's easier to sign players that play for you. So you've got them under contract. You've got them under control. And you can offer them the most money. So therefore, you're trying to create kind of a false sense of loyalty, right? You stay where you can get paid the most. It's simple math. Everybody's going to go for that. Because you'll stay where you can make the most money. That that's the American dream. That's the way we live it. That's the way capitalism, the, the, the pillars of capitalism are built on that. Here's what happened. They started making so much money in the NBA. Players were getting so and still are, getting so much money that at one point in time, a couple of the players had an epiphany. They said, You know, if I get an eighty million dollar contract from the team that I started with, or if I get a $68 million contract from this team, there still is nothing that I will want for, for the rest of my life. In fact, I can take care of my family, my family's family, my grandkids, everybody else. If I get $68 million or $80 million. And, and by the way, I may play another contract after this, but that's the one that's on the table right now. So I'm going to take the $68 million instead of the $80 million, and I'm going to go play for a ring. I'm going to play to win I'm going to put money aside to an extent because I'm still going to get plenty of it. No, that pension that I've got coming too, that's not even counted in here. Ooh, I'm doing really well. And I'm going to go play for a championship. And all of a sudden, the big three emerged in Miami. LeBron James leaving Cleveland. who to thunk it to play for a title? Kevin Love leaving Minnesota play with LeBron James later in Cleveland. Why? So he could play for a title. Now you've got a real fly in the ointment because the whole intent of the labor agreement and the salary cap and all those things were to retain players in their own markets. And instead, players said, you know what? I've actually got enough money that I can be happy for the rest of my life With this $70 million contract instead of the $85 million contract. So I'm really not that concerned about the last 15 on that. I am. I really have wondered what it's like to taste the championship. I really wondered what that feels like. And I really wondered what it's like to play the superstar player. That has made this league extraordinarily popular because you now have players playing for the right reasons. They're saying, and when they saw somebody else do it, then guess what? Then they started to do it. Taking less money to play for a ring. What a concept. The league and the fans have benefited because these, we always talk about greed with these players. This is the opposite of greed. This is what we should be celebrating. These are the players that we should put and say, this is why they're important to the game. Not because of just their statistics, but because Kevin Love went to Flip Saunders and said, Flip, I ain't coming back. You can trade me. And I really want to get traded to Cleveland because I want to play with LeBron. But I'm not coming back. It doesn't matter what you offer me. I'm not coming back. He did that service to Flip Saunders and the Timberwolves. And then they made the trade and they got Andrew Wiggins back uh, through the draft, et cetera, just saw Andrew's father today as a side note. But but the point was, Love said, "I'm gonna I'm gonna go win. I don't care if it's." And, and here's a second piece to that. They ended up coming up with destination cities, which is wonderful for the game. What do I mean by that? All of a sudden, players wanted to go to Cleveland because they can play with LeBron. All of a sudden, players want to go to Milwaukee because they can play for a world championship. All of a sudden, people wanted to go to San Antonio because Popovich always knew how to use veteran players. And it's no longer the East Coast, West Coast thing where we used to talk about us being in flyover land. And who would want to stop here? They, they, they don't need to go to New York anymore. They don't need, have to go to Los Angeles to win a championship. They, they do sometimes. But it always used to be, oh, they're all up in the big markets and the league wants everybody in the big markets. And they said, no, you give me good players. All the cities are good cities in the NBA. But but I'm not going to worry about being greedy financially. Oh, what a concept, huh? When somebody feels like, I've got enough in this part of my life financially. Now I want to do something else to check a box. I want to fulfill this thing where I just want to win so bad. And that's why the league is so good. When we come back, I don't know if you listened today on the radio, but it was some kind of a baseball game. The Twins and the Los Angeles Dodgers and under the heading of, you never know what you're going to see when you go to the old ballpark. You can't believe what you saw today. Stay with us on Sports to the Max. All right, our topic right off the top was um, Patrick Beverly seeking revenge on his team. And I said, i love to see people that get revenge on someone they think screwed them. Now, here's a couple of texts that we got. How did Pat Beverly get screwed over by the Clippers? They just didn't want to pay him what he thought he was worth, and then he requested trade, and they obliged. That might be true. But Beverly knows what his value was in his mind compared to other players on the team. So you say, well, they just did business. They said, okay, we we don't think you're worth that, so we'll trade you to somebody else. That makes sense, except that Beverly knows. And he knows the guys behind the scenes, and he knows the people that make things work. And There's a lot that goes on. Someday I'll explain this. In organizations with people who have influence that you've never heard of, You know about the coach, you know about the GM. There's all these people of influence behind the scenes, and he knows who those people are. Um, Hey, Mike, I was promised a site to manage. I put money into seeding new hay at my cost with understanding that was my site and I could make the hay. Uh, It turns out the, the actions of my boss were not consistent with that. I sent the parent company a bill for my seed cost and labor. Supervisor had some explaining to do. Have a good night. Absolutely. You don't have to take it just because somebody says it's this. Yeah, well, it's in my estimation that uh, this is where you fit in the company. Well, what do you know about it? Um, This is a quote. Speak straight even when it gets you in trouble because it will. But at least everyone will know how you stand and what you stand for. Bob Dole. Speak straight even when it gets you in trouble because it will. You have to accept the fact that it will if you speak straight. But at least everyone will know how you stand and what you stand for. Bob Dole. I think that's true. I heard some radio talk show guy said uh, he called downtown Minneapolis a hellhole, and that it sucked the life out of people, and, and, and I heard he, he got all kind. Of, but then it turns out he got so much support, overwhelming support, he couldn't believe it. I don't know who it was. I just heard this. I've, I've never heard of that. Yeah. That happened? I, I I hear stories. I don't know what's true and what's not, but well, I, heard I heard that he had a ton of support. Well, the internet's never accurate. <laughs> if it's on the internet, it's got to be true, Maxie. Um. The internet's never accurate, uh, but I just heard that, and I heard that he couldn't believe how many people came out and supported him for his stance. Just things I hear, you know, when I'm out in the bottom, I go out. I, I believe you can't live in a bubble, you can't live in an office. You got to go out in about. So Today, I went to the Twins, and I went to the Twins afterwards because I wanted to talk to the players in the about what the heck happened to him today. And if you didn't hear, Clayton Kershaw got on the mound. He threw seven perfect innings, twenty-one hitters, thirteen strikeouts. It was an unbelievable masterpiece masterpiece is the only way to describe it because it was perfect he didn't miss a spot he moved his slider around you all these things he was in control it was in you know he remember on his body clock coming from the west coast is 10 a.m when that game starts and he's still doing a number on the twins and it was really fun to watch so because i don't want to live in a bubble i want to know what was it like to be a minnesota twin facing clayton kershaw today and to see this. And so the the argument that ensued was, and if you have an opinion on this, you can call us 651 461 651 Should they have been obligated to allow him to pitch eighth inning, ninth inning, or however long he went until he gave up a hit, uh, with the idea that this is rare air, that you, you, when you have a chance to get a perfect game through seven innings, you've got to follow through with it. Now, he was at 80 pitches, and it was his first start of the year, and it was cold in Minnesota. So there's a lot of things that you have to factor in if you're a manager on this thing, but they took him out after seven perfect innings. They gave one hit to Gary Sanchez, that was it. Twins got beat seven to nothing, but the, the number one storyline was that they took him out after seven innings. And should they have done that, or do they owe it to baseball fans in the game of baseball to allow someone, even early in the season... Uh, to take a shot at a perfect game of perfection because it's so rare. I don't know how you feel about it. 651 uh, 4619 Tubbs, you know, i we'll talking about it on the other side. But Nick Gordon was in the lineup today. He was inserted late because Alex Kirilov got hurt again. And so Nick Gordon had a chance to face Clayton Kershaw. So I thought, I want to know what it was like to face Clayton I'm not going to – they're going to let me bat against him. But how close can I get to this? How many degrees is it? So I go, well, I go out and ask some of the players. So I talked to Rocco. I talked to – Carlos Correa, i talked to some different people, but i to Nick Gordon about what it was like today to face Clayton
0: Kershaw.
5: Nick, what's it like on a cold day like today and you face a guy like uh,
0: Kershaw? I mean, uh, he was on day, I, I ain't much else to really say about it. You know, uh, you know it's one of those days, good pitching gets good, uh, good, good hit so.
5: Well, you, you've been, you know, you, you've seen enough uh, now in the big leagues, you know the difference between different pitchers. I mean, can you tell right away when the guy's just came on at a different level? Or what did what it feel like today?
0: Uh, he was rolling, you know, just he had his, his best stuff early, you know, and he showed. Uh, you know, he was competing, and he saw yesterday. You know, uh, first off, a great pitcher, so it not really much else to say.
5: You know what you can say, isn't it? You just kind of watch it, and you go... Tip your cap, right? You got to compete.
0: That's all. You have got to compete, and uh, you got the best of us today.
5: Playing in cold weather, uh, you've done a lot over the years. Is it a lot different? Is it a little different? Do you make a lot out of
0: it? Uh, I mean, it makes a difference, but you know, uh, it's not any conditions that the other team doesn't have to deal with as well. So, you know, we're all in it, playing in the same weather, you know, or on the same field, so. You no, know, not to i can't really complain about it you know just got to go and get it done
5: and now you get to go play in boston and fenway park and all those things does that hit you when you play in these ballparks uh you know these storied ballparks as you go through the big league
0: oh yeah definitely uh you know it's definitely history and all these places and uh it you know just awesome to be able to you know visit these places and actually be able to get on the field and play in these games and play at these fields you know growing up as a kid just you know, seeing all these places and, you know, going to a lot of them with my dad, you know, it's definitely special.
5: What your dad say? Just keep it simple?
0: Oh, yeah. Have fun. You know, uh, go out, compete, have fun, and just play the game.
1: Have fun at Fenway, son. Have fun at Fenway. So so, so are we obligated to, to allow a pitcher, even at the risk of injury, when he's flirting with a perfect game, to continue to pitch? Tubbs and I will throw it around if you've got a comment on it. six five one four six one nine two two six via text line or phone call you can weigh in but but who who are you obligated to the baseball world the pitcher the person what we'll talk about it when we come back stay with us welcome back sports to the max news talk 830 wccr so clayton kershaw today throws seven perfect innings for the la dodgers and then he doesn't return for the eighth. The Twins end up with one meaningless hit. They get beat seven to nothing. Uh, but the question is, should they have let him, allowed him, the opportunity to complete a perfect game, which is a rare error in baseball history, 23 in the history of the game. Perfect games. That, that's how close he was to flirting with it. Now, many people have flirted with things like this in the past, and then there have been people that have been pulled during no-hitters, etc. I don't know how many thrown seven perfect innings and then not gone into the eighth. I'm sure somebody has that in the baseball stats somewhere. Uh, I mean, they probably had it within five seconds the way it goes now. These statistics that they pull, but the real question is the spirit of the game. Are you obligated if you're Dave Roberts, the manager of the Los Angeles Dodgers, to uh, to 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 allow him this rare opportunity, or are you playing for a, a bigger picture? After the game, at Rocco Baldelli told me, he says, you know, I know what they're playing for, and it's bigger than just today because of the way the Dodgers are built. They need their ace all year. And that's the way they've got to go about their business. So that's different. I don't know that any team early in the season, if they felt they were risking injury to a player would send them out for another inning. But certainly, you know, the Dodgers know. And the other part of it was, Tubbsy, it wasn't one to nothing. Where you mm-hmm. had to have been, They, it was four to nothing and the twins had shown obviously no life at the plate because they didn't get any hits. They struck right, out 13 yeah. times. But the question still is amongst baseball people that they'll throw around tonight. And this is why baseball lends itself to the hot stove league in the offseason and during the season is mm-hmm. should they allow him to try to complete perfection because it's so rare versus
3: 80 pitch limit or something like that? The baseball fan in me says, Absolutely. I I want to see it because how often do you get the opportunity to be someplace and you're like, I might see a no hitter. I might see somebody hit for the cycle. I might see, you know, something that's going to stand out that I'm going to remember. So in that respect, I I wish that he would have gotten that opportunity because I felt like we as baseball fans were deprived. And I think Corey Provis, I think he laid it out perfectly today that this was something that Major League Baseball could have used. Frankly, after all of the PR, the bad PR over no the question, offseason. but are you obligated to try to serve Major League Baseball? You, you're not. And, and this is where, I mean, like Dave Roberts will err on the side of caution. This is like the second time that he's pulled a pitcher in a perfect game with a pitch count. He did it with Rich Hill back in 2016. The, the eventual twin. Uh, absolutely. and well, By the way, they could use this year. <laughs> yeah, they could. And, and Clayton Kershaw, here's the thing about Clayton Kershaw too. Number one, he didn't have any problems with that today. Nope. He he completely understood yep. because of a short spring training. Yep. He hadn't picked up a ball in three months, trying to get stretched out, everything like that. Plus, over the last two, three years, he's had a lot of elbow and arm yep. issues. So are you really going to risk it this early in the season? Because Dave Roberts went on the Dan Patrick Show on March 24th And proclaimed, we will win the World Series. Yep. And and they got some players. Uh, This is, I mean, it's. it's I don't know if he's shot or not, but I mean, uh, they they got some players. It is stupid, ridiculous how good they are. The baseball fan in me says, I feel cheated. But if Clayton Kershaw doesn't have a problem with it and he knows that he's had these issues, I understand that too. Okay, but.
1: Mm -hmm. Okay. Follow me on this. Okay. Always a but. Major League Baseball needs something. Some oomph, right? They do. Labor dispute, short and spring training, fans are pissed mm-hmm. off again, COVID the last couple of years, they need anything. They, every, every league kind of needs something like all the time. But in some respects, do you not get the same effect? Because you and I and nationally or wherever, the Twitter world, whatever it is, mm-hmm. are debating this seven-inning perfect game and... and, and while you, if you went to the game today, you didn't get to see a nine inning perfect game, but guess yeah. what? You sure got something to talk about, which is what we're talking about. And that is you got to see seven innings of perfect baseball and it was perfect the way he pitched. I mean, 13 strikeouts, slider, all those things. Efficient. Efficient. I mean, it, it, it was truly remarkable because you could just see the twins didn't have a clue yeah. as to how to hit him. So, so did it actually serve its purpose because it created conversation about whether or not, you know, and are we obligated to some baseball
3: moral code? I think it I think it creates conversation, but in a negative way. Because you don't want your fans to, to keep second-guessing the managers and doubting the product. Like when we're looking at Clayton Kershaw, oh man, it was so good. But then fans constantly play the what if. Well, what if he would have done it? And, I mean, it's not to say that we might not get this opportunity somewhere down the road with somebody else. I mean, there, there's going to be another opportunity where a pitcher is going to um, to have an opportunity, but nobody's going to be talking about the seven-inning perfect game. I mean, nobody's going to be talking about the seven innings. Everybody's going to be talking about why was he pulled and whether or not he should have been pulled. I don't think anybody's but, going to be but talking isn't about
1: But that good? I mean, the old saying, hey, man, I don't care what you say about me. Make
3: sure you spell my name right. That's, <laughs> one, that's one X at the end, by the way, not two. Yeah, but I mean, I, I think you would say that, a majority of what we've heard about Dave Roberts. and okay, now I mean, he, here, Here's the other thing that we
1: don't know. Mm-hmm. And it may, maybe it's out there, and I guess I haven't followed it close enough. You know, these these pitching coaches, managers, pitchers all have a plan. And so many times yeah, they they'll say, I don't care if you've got a perfect game going. Mm-hmm. You're not throwing more than 80 pitches. And the pitcher says, I get it. I'm with you 100%. Yeah, you know, th- th- this, may be, this may be the spring training lecture they get is, hey, in the month of April, nobody, I don't care where we're at in the game and mm-hmm. what you got going, we're playing for October. Nobody
3: is throwing more than 80 pitches. Let me throw a hypothetical at you to kind of piggyback off of that, Maxie. Okay, he threw, what, 80 pitches? 80 pitches. He said he wasn't going to get to his 100 pitches. So I'm going to do my Minnesota public education math thanks to Redwood Valley High School. I'm going to say that you got 20 pitches left in two innings he was so efficient through 17. What happens if he gets to that 95, 96, 97 pitch and he's only in the eighth inning and then he gets pulled in a dirty inning or, you know, he goes eight and a third. I mean, are, are we even more upset about it? Probably. And if you're that close to the yeah, goal line. because he, he wasn't going to get to that 100 pitch mark. I and mean, what, what they say, major league scouts will tell you is 15 or less. There's a
1: magic number. Mm-hmm. If a, pitcher is good, he will throw 15 pitches or less in an inning. that, that That's what you're looking for. Mm-hmm. 15 or less is really, really good. That means that you're effective. You go more than... Now, obviously, in... Seven innings, he had thrown 80 pitches. That's incredible. Yeah, that's right? yeah. that,
3: That's what, 11. That's not, efficient. You know, no no high-stress pitches. That's, yeah. that's
1: 11. But, but yeah. and, and So at that rate, he'd get to 102. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, big deal. But but i got to believe and give them the benefit of the doubt that these guys said, you know, hey, look, it, this is the way we run the, this program. Mm-hmm. We, we don't do it to satisfy somebody else. We do it because the Dodgers are playing to win world championships.
3: Yeah, and and, and,
1: and 80 pitches and at your point we got an injury here, but it might be for all mm-hmm. the pitchers. 80 pitches as mm-hmm. far as you're going and and don't beg me. Don't tell me, "Oh, skip. I got to leave me today." Because yeah. you want
3: No, we said 80 pitches. We meant 80 pitches. And, and that's what Clayton Kershaw and and I that's what I appreciate him is, is realized because he's at the end of his career, first ballot Hall of Famer, one of the best of all time. But we're talking about it now. Imagine, imagine if it was Rocco that made this decision yep. and it was a twin starter. Think about the gnashing of the teeth we would have with I that. Mean, let's say it's Joe Ryan, right? Yes. Yeah. yeah hypothetically, yeah, let's say yeah. it's Joe Ryan. I mean, that's, that's a different ballgame, oh, so to speak, you know? Yeah. And, and I mean, they're going to be just as cautious with everything, too. But I, I guess baseball fan says I was cheated. I understand the big picture from them health-wise. We had Jim Cot on the other day with Pete and Jerry and I.
1: And and this concept of a six-man rotation? <laughs> Kitty's got some concerns, you know what I'm saying? When we come back, Brian Robbie, he played in the big leagues. We'll ask him his thoughts on it. He coaches at Bethel. How on earth do you develop a baseball player in Minnesota with this weather? Stay with us.
2: <sighs> Spring is a time of renewal. So why not refresh your home with a little help from Blinds.com?